Hello and welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Today's sermon is The Other Side by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. I want to title this message tonight, The Other Side. And I believe there is the other side for each person listening in this place tonight. If I could call this anything, I would call this the halftime life coach's speech to you. I would call it halftime because we're right in the middle of the year. We've just eclipsed into July. This is July 2nd. It's halftime in the calendar year of 2014. Can I give you a halftime speech here tonight? Can I talk to you a little? Everybody say, God has another level. (laughs) He does. God has a miracle brewing for you, a breakthrough. There is another side to what you are currently going through. How many of you folks have ever been on a road trip? A road trip in your life. Now, for us Americans, we probably pride ourselves in being the home of most road trips. How many of you have ever been on a road trip? Raise your hand one more time. I grew up in slap poverty. Now, don't look at how I dress today. Because it might fool you. But I, drew, I grew up in shotgun houses. We put quilts under the door, jams, to keep the heat and the cold out. We never heard of a word called exterminators. Our extermination came in spray cans. The road trips we went on were in non-air-conditioned cars. We didn't go in jet airplanes, and we sure didn't fly first class. I do like that, but we didn't do it then. Dad took us driving. We lived in West Texas. And all of our trips, all of our trips were to Oklahoma, to the same town, to the same place. We went to see kinfolks on our vacation, grandparents, cousins, aunts, and uncles. And that was our perpetual drive in the summertime for vacation. So I had one sibling. He was my brother who was a bit of a dictator, but I loved him. He would sit in the back with me. Dad was driving. Mom had shotgun. And when my brother slept in the back seat, he took the whole back seat. So I, the little brother, sat on the floor. I don't know how I didn't die of carbon monoxide poisoning. But somehow God kept his hand on me. But when on a road trip, there's a classic question and a phrase that is always used by children anywhere and everywhere. And you don't learn these at conferences. You don't learn these at school. You just learn them in life. It was approximately 45 minutes to an hour each road trip. Every single summer, I would ask the same question. Dad, he knew what was coming. There'd be a long silence. Dad, yes, son, are we there yet? (laughs) And sometimes there would just be silence in the front seat as if to say, help me, God. My youngest child has just slipped into idiocracy again. That's not calling me an idiot. I was just in idiocracy. My son has lost his mind. But if I'm dad, my my response would be, what do you think? Are we there yet? The car has not stopped. When the car stops, I will open the door and I'll pull you out. Then we are there. What do you mean, are we there yet? Of course we're not there yet. We're still moving. That would be my response. I actually got a whipping one time less than a mile from my grandparents' home. That's a fact. It was the worst whipping I've ever got because I asked the question one too many times. And I got a leather-bound blessing. The truth is, I knew we weren't there yet, but that's not the point. 
I mean, I didn't know if we were in Memphis, Texas, Childress, Texas, or had crossed the border to Oklahoma. But I knew we weren't in Mangum, Oklahoma, because I knew what Mangum, Oklahoma looked like. I knew it like the back of my hand. I didn't know when we were going to be there, but the point I thought maybe actually possibly had a slight chance we were there. And although I knew we weren't there yet, I still had to ask, are we there yet? Still had to do it. Nobody else has done that, have they? The point was, hey, Dad, I've got everything done that I know how to do. And now I'm bored. I'm a bored kid. Dad, we need to coordinate something. We need to coordinate when I'm done doing what I'm doing so that you can arrive at where we're supposed to be going simultaneously. That's what I should have told him. Dad, I've counted all the cows. I've played I spy with my little eyes. We've played the slug bug game, counted all the Volkswagens on the road. Eddie had a transistor radio. He always liked to one-up me. I didn't get a transistor. Eddie got one. I don't know if he stole it or somebody and his friend gave it to him for the trips, but he always had a transistor. He wouldn't let me listen to it. He was singing, and I was bored. He didn't want me to sing because he didn't want me to mess up the songs that he was singing. So I had to sing my songs in silence from the songbooks I remembered, from the songs I remembered in the songbooks at the church. Now, some of you don't act like you know what I'm talking about. The reason I grew up Christian, you didn't. You was probably singing something from the Jackson 5 or something. I mean, it's like, Dad, I've done it all. What else do I need to do? What do you mean we are not there yet? I've run out of time things and games. I'm out. Are we there? No, son, we're not there. Have you ever asked God that question? God? Hey, God, are we there yet? God, 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 God. Hello, hello, hello. Can you hear me? God, are we there? Are we there? I don't know how God responds to you. But when I hear the voice of God, sometimes it sounds like James Earl Jones. (laughs) Or Morgan Freeman. (laughs) I'm sorry. Yes, son, what can I do for you? You know, maybe God feels like, hey, yeah, what do you need? Now, if he talks to you like that, that's not the God that I serve because God don't talk like that. I don't know, but it just doesn't sound like that, yeah, what do you need, baby? That don't sound like the God that I worship. But have you ever asked God the question, are we there? Wherever there is, we know we're not there yet, right? We know that. Some of us, we've been following Jesus for a long time. I'm going to preach tonight. And we know we're not there, but that's not the point, is it? The point is, Lord, I know that you've got me on a plan. I know you have a purpose for my life. And I know there's a pathway to my destiny. And I have this grand sense in my heart that you're taking me somewhere, but I just need to know, God, am I there yet? Am I there? Because I've done everything I know how to do. I upped my daily prayer time this year to 12, 12.5 minutes extra per day. I've read through my one-year Bible three times this year, and I ask an average of three people to church on, uh, on the week now for Sunday. It used to be one and a half per day, but now it's three per day, so shouldn't I be there by now? And here's the question that I want us to consider. 
Put it on the screen. What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? Look at it. What do you do when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be? What do you do in the, say, meantime? We don't talk much about meantime in church because the meantime doesn't make headlines in any culture or in any country. Like here in America, ESPN Sports Center, folks, doesn't show meantime. Sports Center does not allow an athlete eating his Wheaties in the morning. We just don't see him eating Wheaties. We always see him doing his dunk in a basketball. We don't see him eating his, <laughs> eating his cereal of champions. We don't see that. We see him scoring touchdowns. We see him hitting home runs. We see him putting the puck into a net. God, that's boring. But we see that. One promotion to the next promotion. One highlight to the next highlight. And that's globally. Not much is made of meantime. Say meantime. meantime. For instance, history typically does not record the meantime. I mean, the Bible doesn't even record all the meantime. We look at Jesus. We see his birth. We celebrate that on Christmas. We see his death. We celebrate that on Easter, his resurrection. And one little space in there when he was 12 years old, he got lost and he was confusing doctors and lawyers in the temple and his parents left him. But many times we don't see the, between the birth and 30 years. And some of us, really, we don't really understand. It was 30 years of preparation for three and a half years of ministry. And some of us want three and a half years of Preparation for 30 years of ministry. The meantime, the meantime, he had to go through puberty. He had to deal with acne. He had to learn how to be a carpenter. He had to work retail with his father. He had to work retail, people. You have to be God to work retail. He worked retail. So what happens is that oftentimes in church we talk about what God has brought us out of and where he's taken you, but wait, what do I do in the meantime? And that caught my attention in these stories. That caught my attention, these two stories in the Gospel of Mark. It uses two ambiguous words that sometimes we read over and we just don't think about. It says, then they crossed over. And in Mark 6, it says, when they cross. So, when is then? It's when it is. Oh, that's stupid. That's a play on words. When is then? It's when it is. So you can do your research on those two particular passages, and you'll discover there is no exact timetable of when becomes then. No timetable. We don't know exactly how long it took for the disciples to cross the lake on both occasions. A lot of people want to know. Now, just tell me seven non-negotiable, indispensable, indisputable steps I can take to ensure that I get my spiritual breakthrough. I've got to follow these steps. So before we know it, we turn the meantime, whoever knows a secret password to make it the next level. And before you know it, our relationship with God becomes something like we're relating to a vending machine. And we learn the codes and we put in our money and we put in our tithes and we push the things. But that's not relationship. That's putting God into a charter, into a code. You're not going to put God into a code. God don't operate like that. Relationship is how God operates. Like, 
What makes my marriage neat? You know what makes my marriage sexy? You know what it is? Because Patty is so unpredictable. Boy, I could tell you some stories in that. Some of you husbands would say, good night. You got that kind of wife? Yeah, I do. <laughs> ain't no telling. Ain't no telling. I'm liable to have, ain't no telling. I'm liable to have some custard waiting on me when I get home tonight. I know all of you got your mind in the gutter, but I'm talking about sweet stuff, neat stuff with my wife. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Women are unpredictable. There's two times a man don't understand a woman before he gets married and after he gets married. I love you, ladies. I've been working on the men all month. I've got to talk to you now a little bit. Everybody say amen. amen. All you men say, Jesus, have mercy. The basis of relationship is that there is people involved who are unpredictable. God is predictable from Genesis through Revelation, but there's a whole lot of wiggle room in there and he will surprise you. We break it down to seven steps. We break it down to 10 steps. We break it down to 14 steps. I love what, I love what a man up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Pastor's Gateway, his name is Robert Morris. He said, he said I, I looked one time at seven steps to being a great leader and said none of them fit me, so I guess I'm not a great leader. He just has 35,000 in his congregation. But the steps that he saw wasn't what he knew was in him. So perhaps he wasn't a great leader. So we look at steps. We look at this thing. But we know that there's a healing for us waiting. We know there's a miracle waiting for us. We know there's a manifestation of miracle. And it might be a blessing on your business. It might be a dream and vision coming to fruition. And all these things, when we start making it just these seven steps, and then we tell everybody that if you just do these seven things, you just do these ten things, I'm going to tell you, God will ensure those seven things don't work for anybody that you tell because God's not going to be confined to a slot machine. He's not going to be confined to a, a machine that bends and says, you put money in, you're going to get something out. God still works on relationship. You hear me? God is a relational God. Everybody clap your hand and say, I love that about him. So we must look to him, not just to a concept, but to Christ, to the person of the Lord Jesus. But the question still remains, what do I do in the meantime? We don't talk about that a lot. I used to, I used to when I first started my ministry a long time ago, I used to be a youth president, in both statewide and nationally, of an organization. And I love preaching to young people. For 10 years I did it. It was a fun thing because... I think young people are just neat. I love young people. I really do. And I, I still feel like that I can relate to them. I don't know why because I guess I related to them for 10 years and it was a lot of fun. It was a great job. I still miss it sometime. It was a neat group. And they'd look at me now and say, wow, you don't have anything to tell us. I, I do too, but they don't act like I do. So I'm just going to tell you all about how it used to be. You know, young people, God calls young people. You know that, don't you? In fact, Jeremiah said, Lord, I'm only a youth. And God said, I don't want to hear that again. I've called you. You're going to be available. David wasn't even let, 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 let him get in the line of the kingship, and, and he was the king. And then they wouldn't even let him go to battle, and he brought bread, corn, and cheese to his brothers, and he whipped a giant because God calls young people. God talks to young people. And I know that there are some young people in this room right now that are sitting here saying, wow, God's got something for my life, pastor. He's got something that he wants me to do in my life. He's got a calling that he wants me to do. And their heart is pounding and their palms get sweaty and they're saying, wow, I think God's given me a vision for my future. 
But I want to tell you something. What we don't tell a lot of these young people is that from here to there can be a few years. Remember this. We think microwave. God does crock pot. And you got to understand that. God doesn't just call you and stand you up tomorrow and say, boy, go out there and preach. He doesn't do that. Whom he calls, he prepares. And when he prepares you, he's going to send you out and you're going to do the vision. You're going to do the mission and you're going to do it right. But what do you do in the meantime? That's the question tonight in the middle of this year. That's the question. Paul got knocked off his horse one day on her way to Damascus to persecute a bunch of Christians. When he looked up to the heavens and the Lord said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who art thou? Lord, he said, I'm Jesus. And don't you know it's hard to kick against the pricks? Now, now listen, if you had been in that company and you knew that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, you knew he spoke nine languages and you knew that he was a bad man with his words, you knew that and you knew that he was a strong leader. If you were in that group, you'd say, right now, God, let him go, let him preach. But he went down to Ananias' house, got baptized, and then the Lord said, I'm going to send you out to the Arabian Desert in the meantime. And you're going to study at the feet of Gamal, and you're going to be there for three, three and a half years because I've got to prepare you. Lord, Lord, really? You know, some of you, some of you, you know, God gets a hold of you, he talks to you, and he, 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 you, sometimes you feel like you're being pulled out of the car. And he, he yanks you out of the car and says, stand up. I've called you to do something. I hope it wasn't a Prius he yanked you out of or a Kia because I want you to be a real man. Amen. Oh, I like Priuses. I really do. I like Priuses. Not. I don't either. But it's, 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 going, it's going to be a little time. It's going to be a little time. God says, not yet. And, 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 and I know some people saying, you know, Pastor, you've got somebody in mind or you wouldn't be preaching this this way. No, 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 no. No, I'm telling you, I only deal in stuff that I use that's helped me. And this has helped me. God does things to us called transition. So what do we do? Does the meantime not matter? Or do we just wish and pray and beg that someday the next highlight will come along and we'll be a part of it, carrying the ball over the goal line, kicking the winning field goal, hitting the home run, putting a puck in the, in the net, whatever it is. But God works in meantime a whole lot more than he works in highlight time. See, a lot of people have a misconception. They think only a spiritually elite make it through the meantime. People that pray extra, people that give extra. You know, they, we, see, we see people have a breakthrough financially. We see people have a breakthrough in a healing or a breakthrough in a relation or an emotional situation. And we say, wow, they must have gotten the secret. They must have found out the code to the vending machine. I wish they would pass that around. I had, a dear, I had a dear pastor in my life one time that went out to pray for a lady, and the Lord said, if you'll wash her feet, I'll heal her. So he washed her feet, and he came back and happened to tell that at a conference, and everybody started putting the oil up and started washing feet because they thought God would heal because they just washed feet. He didn't tell us to wash feet. He said, if any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them with oil. But that man felt a purpose in his life that he needed to wash that woman's feet. And he and his wife washed her feet and God healed her. That doesn't mean God's got a brand new doctrine. That just means that God used that for that moment. I'm here to tell you there's no secret to this thing. It's called relationship with the one that put you in the boat. Only the spiritually elite 
can make it. So I'm never going to get through this storm. I'm never going to get my healing. I'm never going to get what God has for me because I'm not one of those spiritually elite. I'm not one of those high-rolling Christians. I'm not one of those joy-bound people that always are smiling no matter what's happening. So I'm not going to be there. Listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible says in Mark 6 that the men that Jesus put on the boat, put it on the screen, their hearts were hardened. Can I tell you, then they crossed over to the other side. Those two verses don't go together. Hard hearts and crossing to the other side. I'm going to tell you why Jesus did it. Because he wanted you to believe it's not the elite spiritual people. It's not the people that are the high rollers in life. It's not the people that get every prayer that seem like they pray answered. Sometimes people just know how to act when their prayer is not answered. Because they're not going to let the devil get the top side of them. They're going to believe that God's going to answer the prayer when he answers the prayer. But it's how you handle the meantime when you get on the boat and when you get off on the other side. That's what I'm preaching about tonight. You know what, if I'd have been God back in that day, you know what I'd have done? I'd have turned that boat around. I said, you hard-hearted rascals, I'm going to trade you and get me some good players. I'm going to sell you in the lottery. I'm going to let New York pick you up. I don't want you to play on my team anymore. Just get out of here. But Jesus just took them across the, across the lake. He took them across. He took them across the sea, and the storm came, and he delivered them then. And he delivered them when? Because God took care. Of what happens in the meantime. Listen to me. God is good. And he does all things well. Say it. God is good. All the time. And he does all things well. But pastor. God's put this desire in my heart. God's put this intuition in my spirit. God's put this ministry in me. When's it going to be birthed? When do I get to the other side? And how do I get by in the meantime while I'm going to the other side where the then and the when is in my life? Let me say this. I wrote this. Never become envious of someone else's success because you don't know the price that they paid in secret to get it. Say it with me. Never be envious of someone else's success because you don't know the price they paid in secret. So what do you do in the meantime? I found one thing. I'm going to preach one thing tonight. Here it is. One thing. How do you have access to the other side and extend the mission of the Savior? What did those disciples do on both occasions? Here's what they did. Put it up on the screen. They simply stayed in the boat. Now, right now is when I could throw down and preach till 930. Because I get so tired sometime of people because it doesn't happen when they think it ought to happen. It doesn't take place in their life when they think it ought to take place in their life. 
and so they walk out on God. Then it gets worse out there, so they walk back in on God. And they try to swim and get on the boat, and we're still in this storm trying to get over to the other side. And they don't understand why things never work out. Here's how things work out. Translation for us today. Stay in the house. Stay in the church. I don't care if things go upside down in this world. I don't care if your family runs away from you. I don't care if your kids walk out on you. I don't care if you lose three jobs in the next month. Here's what you got to do if you're going to do something in the meantime. You just got to stay in the boat. You got to stay in church. You got to stay in the thing that God saved you into. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying tonight? You can't throw church away like it's some kind of leftover apple pie from McDonald's. You can't do that. This is God's church. He gave his own blood. He shed his own blood for the redemption of this church. You don't throw that away. You don't just chunk that. I love people that I just see every time the doors open, they just walk in. Here they are. Any any side of land today? No. But I'm here. Any miracles in your family today? No. Win a million dollars today? No. Anybody bless you today? No. Did you get that loan today? No. Did you get that new house today? No. Well, what are you doing here? Because I'm staying in the boat. Now listen, first of all, let's celebrate that we're not where we used to be. Some of you forget where God brought you from when you got in this church five years ago, six years ago, two months ago. You maybe got baptized three Sundays ago. You forget where God brought you from. I'm here to tell you God's brought us a long, long way already. I said, God's brought us a long, long way already. Hallelujah. You can stop right there and have the celebration of your life because God has done great things for everybody in this house tonight. I got six minutes. I got too much material. I'm not what I used to be. I don't think like I used to think. I'm a better dad now than I used to be. I'm a better husband now than I used to be. I'm a better child of God now than I used to be. I'm a better person than I used to be. I may not be where God's wanting me to go yet, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm not where I used to go. I don't say what I used to say. I don't put in my veins what I used to put in my veins. I don't throw back what I used to throw back. I'm a different person, and I'm going to celebrate the fact that I'm not what I used to be again. I'm going to celebrate that. Oh, hallelujah. Anybody want to celebrate that? 
They got people in this church, my Lord, they've come out of prison. They've come out of embezzled times. They've come out of all kinds of divorces and hard life. And they've come out of stone-cold drunkenness. And they've come out of horrible drug problems. And they've come out of horrible illicit immorality. And they've come out of all kinds of things. That I'm not going to let you not celebrate that. We will celebrate where God has brought us from. We may not be to the other shore yet. But in the meantime, we're going to celebrate what God has done for us. Say amen to that. Here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced that people do too much in the meantime. Especially guys. We're the worst. We're fix-it people. My wife, my kids come to me and say, Daddy, they said this, they said that. You know what? I want to go find them and just wear them out. That's what guys do. We're fix-it people. And the wife look at you and say, baby, I don't want you to go whip somebody. I don't want you to go cost somebody. I just want to tell you I, this happened today. And I want you to pray for me. You're my husband. I want to just cast my care on you. And you can cast it on the Lord, whatever. <laughs> my wife taught me a great lesson one night. We were laying in the bed and was having some pillow talk. And she started telling me about her day. And some of the things she told me, I, I said, I can't handle that. I can't handle that. She said, baby. I'm not asking you to solve my problems tonight. I'm just asking you to listen to me. You don't have to fix it right now. And some of us men, you know what we do? We want to go fix it. We want to make sure that that boat, we're going to get out there, bless God, and we're going to swim and put that rope in our mouth. We're going to pull that boat to shore. (laughs) A boat's no problem because I got a water buoyancy and I can swim that boat to shore. We're going to fix it. But you can't fix it. Here's what you got to do when you're in the middle of the storm and you've left one side and you're headed to the other side. The thing you've got to understand is there's power. There's power in a pronoun. Let us go to the other side. Not let you, not let me, let us go to the other side. Anytime you're in a storm and you're in this church, you're not in that storm by yourself. There's a Savior in that storm with you. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord, this is old-fashioned preaching, but I feel it in my spirit. You know, you got to remember, you got you you to trust the one that saved you. You got to trust the one that called you. You got to trust the one to put that desire and that dream inside you. You got to trust him because you're going to be tempted to jump ship. I guarantee Peter, I guarantee Peter wanted to jump out because he probably looked back. See, the storm was here, and he looked back, and they're probably playing volleyball on the beach back here and having kosher hot dogs like we're going to have in about three minutes. And they're eating all that stuff, and they're having a wonderful time and no clouds and no pain. And he looks back this side, and there's clouds and there's waves. And he probably thought, Lord, God, if I could just get back there. But what you don't understand is that beach don't have Jesus with them. He's in your boat riding over with you. He's going to come walking in the fourth watch of the night and get on your boat. He's going to be in the boat in your storm in both instances. And it doesn't matter what happens in the meantime. You just got to learn to trust the one that tricked you into getting into the boat. Anybody sad they got into the boat? Everybody happy you got in the boat tonight? Come on. You happy? Everybody say, I'm not where I used to be. 
and I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But in the meantime, I'm going to trust him. Galatians 6 and 9, and I'm coming to a close, says, And let us not grow weary in well-doing good. For in due season, we're going to reap if we do not lose heart. I tell this story, and I'm done. 1987 was a very volatile, troublesome year for Patty and I. I was offered a church in the Midwest that was probably one of the largest churches in an organizational body in all of America. I was just 37 years old. First thing that hit me is I'm not capable of doing it, but the board voted 20 to nothing to run my name by by myself to have me be the next pastor. The man who formerly pastored that church turned on me and began to accuse me of all kinds of things. Accused me of all kinds of things, like I couldn't run a budget. I didn't have the ability to handle that kind of people, that kind of crowd. They were too educated for me. They did not have uh, my mindset. My mindset was different than their mindset. And it, it broke our hearts. Now, here's the point. I never knew, I never believed that I would ever go there anyhow because if I went, I'd have had to divorce Patty. She wasn't going with me. And I didn't want to go either, but I didn't want to miss God. A leader of, a, of an organization called me one night at 1.30 and asked me to meet him at a coffee shop. And I met with him there. And he said, Brother Rex, he said, God has got something for you. But it's not going to be in the Midwest. He said, you need to get on the boat and understand that the storm is raging in your life right now. But you're going to come to the shore on the other side someday. And he offered me an opportunity to go to a little, a little town in Louisiana that had a, a large congregation. And I went there, and for three years we labored there. And I knew I never would be bring that people to a place that I wanted to bring them to. They were an old church set in their ways, and they would not change. They, would not, they did not like growth that much. They didn't like the process that much. And so I knew that it was going to be just a three-year wilderness bypass. And so it looked like we had gone from this great, massive, large church to a church in the south that probably wasn't going to relate to where we were. And for three years, we, we preached and we blessed and we helped as much as we could, and the church did grow. The last Sunday we were there, we had over 900 people in congregation. But I remember when I drove into Austin, Texas, In 1990, God said, here's your win. This is it. This is it. And I don't know if we landed at Gadara or Gennesaret. It don't matter. Miracles happened in both places. One, demons were cast out of a man, and the other, miracles were happening in all kinds of shores, and all kinds of people came and fell at the feet of Jesus, and miracles happened. Miracles happened in both instances. And I'm here to declare to you that it was a long three-year journey. It was a long journey. It was a long journey from here to feeling like you couldn't do anything because of mouth and the words of a of a leader and then going kind of to a wilderness bypass and then Austin 
And I've got, I've got a little, my last little sign I'm going to put up here tonight. Would you put it up? My last little sign. I'm so glad I didn't jump ship. I'm so glad I didn't say I don't want that. I'm going back to the beach and play volleyball and eat kosher hot dogs. I'm glad I survived the storm and understood that there's a mean time between launch time and harbor time. I'm so glad that I landed here. And I'm looking at a church full of miracles tonight. I'd like to call you Genesaret. I don't want to call you Gadara. But there's been some miracles. There's been healings in this church and miracles in this church. And God has done great, great things at CLC. And my then became when? When I landed in Austin, Texas. Patty and I get up every morning saying, wow, I'm glad we survived the meantime. I'm glad we survived the meantime because I'm telling you, I've never been happier in all my life. I've never been more happy in my life. If there's a happier pe- preacher in America, boy, he's on medicine. I'm the naturally happiest man in all of America tonight because I love Austin and I made it to the other side. Come on, saints. God's got that job for you. God's got that reward for you. God's got that payment for you. God's got that family for you. God's got that wife for you. He's got that husband for you. He's got those children coming back to the throne for you. He's got that happening in your life. Come on, God's got a blessing for you. Don't give up. Don't jump ship. Somebody ought to look at somebody and say, you're not jumping off this boat. You're staying right here. We're going to hang in here. We're going to live for God. We're going to stay in here because we're going to develop meantime philosophy in our lives. Relationship. Relationship. Father, I love you tonight. Thank you for listening, and for more information, please visit clcaustin.com.